Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Bookends, the monthly Meet the Author session from the Team Approach. I'm Susan Stamm with the Team Approach, and I'm very excited to have Arnie Warren as my guest today on Bookends. Today, we will be exploring Arnie's book called The Great Connection, which is the journey of a man who discovers he has lost himself because he has spent his life pleasing others. It is a story, I am sure, that resonates with many readers. I'd like to introduce our guest, Arnie Warren. Arnie's voice has been heard across America on radio, television, and also in Fortune 500 companies as as a corporate spokesperson. In addition to being named one of the nation's top interview hosts with CBS Radio, he was a top morning personality in Miami Radio and was named one of the top 24 interviewers in the nation at CBS Radio's KMOX in St. Louis. Arnie's clients include American Express, Canadian Rail, Century 21, the Polymer Corporation, and the Management Institutes of Hong Kong and Singapore. Arnie has taught at both the University of Miami and Miami Vocational System. Today, we are featuring Arnie's book, The Great Connection, now in its 13th printing and available in 12 languages. Arnie has authored Find Your Passion, and Devon, which is a sequel to The Great Connection. Additionally, Arnie has authored The Great Connection Action Guide. All of Arnie's books, including The Great Connection, can be ordered by visiting greatconnection.com. Arnie Warren, we welcome you to Bookends. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) People were coming on board. I recognize some names from the past. And so it's a joy to be with you all. And and it's a pleasure for us as well, Arnie. Um, Arnie, one cannot help but wonder as they read this book, The Great Connection, especially if they know your background in radio, if this book is uh, an autobiographical work. Can you tell us how you gave birth to this book? Yes, it is autobiographical in great part. Uh, however, if, uh, not everything is the way it happened in life. But for the most part, yes, Bob Hathaway is me. And I gave Genesis to it. Uh, I had an interview show, as you mentioned, at KMOX in St. Louis. Uh, everybody comes through St. Louis, the authors, the artists, the politicians, the uh, stars. And one of them was from St. Louis, uh, Dr. Robert Lefton, whose company is Psychological Associates. His company uh, teaches uh, upper management internationally people skills. His book is Greater Productivity Through People Skills. A year later, after I left St. Louis, uh, he had given me his book. I sat down, had the time to read the book, and saw for the first time in my life, now I'm in my 50s at this point, that I saw the four behavioral styles. And I thought, oh, my God, there I am. Why didn't, why didn't this cross my path beforehand? Everybody should know this. And so I thought, well, I'll write a book, not a textbook. Well, it started off as a textbook because that's all I knew to write. And eight years passed, and I didn't work diligently eight hours a day for eight years, but every once in a while I'd sit down and say, how can I present this behavior styles so people can grasp it quickly, easily, and have that revelation of knowing who they are? One day I'm in a recording studio with a woman I was doing some work with, and she says, you know, you're a great storyteller. You should write a story. Well, the word story 
resonated with me. And I went home, I sat down at the computer, and remember how as children all the stories began with Once Upon a Time? Mm -hmm. Well, so did mine. Once there was a little boy soprano desperate to grow whiskers. And with that format in mind, that framework in mind, 90 pages came out to explain to the central character the four behavioral styles. Now, remember in college, we Plato said, know thyself. Mm. Well, if you take that and don't know the four behavior styles, you will uh, say, well, in my case, I wanted to please everybody. I wanted to be accepted by everybody. So I certainly knew myself. Thank you, Mr. Plato. Uh, <laughs> but when, when I uh, met with Jim McLemore, the uh, founder of Burger King, who was a friend of mine, we went to the same prep school in New England together, not, not same prep school, not together, uh, We'd see one another socially and also the community uh, activities here in Miami. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. Not only a successful businessman, but a great philanthropist and a gentle man. And that's the kind of person you want to ask, what is the secret to success? And so I asked him. And right away he said, total belief in yourself. <laughs> and I thought, if you don't know who you are, how can you believe and that whom you do not know. Wow. Bingo. There comes the great connection, mm -hmm. and to express it in a storybook fashion. Excellent. Wow. Your, your, your main character, Bob Hathaway, is the I behavioral style. He represents that style. And uh, he's manifesting an ineffective trait of trying to please everyone to gain their acceptance of him. Would you be willing to read uh, the portion of The Great Connection where his mentor, Doc Crater, takes him to the top of the arch in St. Louis? Um, this is found on page 18. Right. Um, just before I do that, read that to you, I remember in St. Louis I had the greatest job in the world. I was well paid to interview people, and I found uh, what they were doing in life fascinating to me. And one day we were at an outside activity with local people, and one alderman, a real tough, big, burly politician, he said, why don't you take a stand on anything? And see, my behavior style didn't want to take a stand mm -hmm. because somebody might not like me for the stand I take. So you waffled your way through life. So Doc Crater takes Bob Hathaway up to the top of the arch, and he says, stand over here, ordered the old man. This side looks east to Illinois. Wow, said Bob, look how far you can see. And on this side, he said, turning, you can see west over Missouri. Bob picked out the landmarks, the old courthouse, Union Station, the airport, the suburbs of St. Louis, from Clayton to Chesterfield. Why did you want me to see this? Bob asked. Come over to the east side again. Picture all the people living out there in Ohio, in Michigan, up to New England and down to Florida. Everyone from here to the Atlantic Ocean. Now took Bob by the elbow and urged him to turn. Picture all the people in Missouri, Texas, Colorado, beyond to California and up to Alaska, from here to the Pacific. Imagine every single face of 250 million people looking up at you. Everyone is staring at you. And, and, not one person of all those millions cares what you choose to do in life. Not one. The doctor increased the pressure on Bob's elbow. If no one cares what you do in life, Mr. Hathaway, why on earth should you be spending your life seeking their approval? <laughs> Bob looked down at the city, the old man watching traffic move around the courthouse and out toward the airport. 
Bob not thinking about city traffic or even that he was at the top of the arch. He was too overwhelmed by the power of the old man's statement. It was both stunning and accurate. No one cares what I choose to do in life. Why should I spend my life seeking everyone's approval? Such a powerful passage, and, and, and this character of Doc Crater is, is a powerful character in a very subtle and sincere way. And I really loved uh, Doc Crater, the character of him, and um, I'm sure everyone who reads this book also uh, feels the same way. Did you have a mentor like Doc Crater, uh, since this is an autobiographical work? Was there someone that was your Doc Crater? Uh, not in life that I can think of. Uh, when writing the book, yes, uh, Dr. Lefton, who I really only called about four times in the course of uh, writing the book to make sure I was psychologically correct. Uh, uh, the other person, uh, well, I had a good friend, Jim Barber is his name here in South Florida, whom I called daily and said, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you think of this? <laughs> and I'd read it to him and bless his heart. He would listen. But he wouldn't tell me whether it was good, bad, or indifferent or what he would do. He worked it around to ask me the questions well, what do you think, so that I came up with my own answers. But the third person, and the most effective, maybe some of you know her, Linda Sasha. Yes. She used to be a disc distributor. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, bless her heart, she was, she's not a professional editor, but she was to me. And she made sure that every bit of dialogue that came out of the mouth of that particular behavior was accurate. She would send me back the manuscript with little brackets saying, ooh, that's good, or ooh, what do we need that for? You know, that sort of thing. So, yes, she mentored as well as edited for me. So those would be the three people with regards to the great connection that I would uh, give some attribution to. Mm. It, it was really amazing how quickly Bob Hathaway in your story was able to begin to capitalize on his disc knowledge and, and begin to see results. Uh, there's a scene in the book that represents a transition uh, when Bob has the, a confrontation with his boss, whose name is Blaylock. And uh, Bob, of course, is still very new to his disc understanding, but the change that you see in his response to his boss is really quite powerful. Arnie, since this is really your story, can you tell us how you personally made that transition uh, in your life and in your work from, uh, you know, being ineffective with some of your eye traits to being more effective? Right. Uh, the underlying foundation of that is uh, what Dr. Lefton showed me in his book with the three behavior styles, mask, uh, spontaneous, uh, our style, our spontaneous style, and then our, uh, our mask behavior. So the mask behavior is putting on something that you're uncomfortable with, but if you're honest, it will expand your comfort zone and be part of. So knowing that that was okay to don that mask behavior, you weren't being, uh, uh, you still had your integrity about you, you weren't being uh, false. I could recognize, obviously, when I was trying to be accepted by someone and immediately say, get off that and look to your effective traits and manifest those. And in that course of that process, what helped me greatly was learning, was because I was an interviewer, was learning how to get somebody else talking, mm -hmm. which would take it off me and put it on them, and I would react to them, and therefore I would not have to try for their acceptance. I could be beyond that mm -hmm. and work on the effective traits, which were great people skills and uh, you know so forth. 
And you could ask people, tell me about the movie. Tell me about uh, why you're going to the University of Florida. Or tell me, and they will respond. Or, or if they don't, they'll say there's nothing to tell, then fine. They're not in the mood to talk in the first place, so we just move on. But nine times out of ten, they will start. In that, if we visualize that conversation or that, but their statements, it's a paragraph. And within that paragraph are signposts, which allow you to ask further, tell me about questions, to probe a little deeper. And they don't feel like they're being grilled because they're talking a bit. So number one, tell me about. Number two, we're looking for signposts. Number three, we have brief inserts. Those are things like, oh, wow, hmm, <laughs> and just kind of reactions like that, so as not to disturb their train of thought. I know eye behaviors, as soon as somebody finishes telling the story, the eye wants to say, hey, the same thing happened to me, and blah, 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 <laughs> tell the story. They've cut off that person, and they no longer can determine what their style is because they've, they've spoiled it for themselves. Mm -hmm. So the brief inserts. And the fourth is the pause. This is perhaps the most, this is gold. When someone finishes with that paragraph, you look at them. Pause, how long do you see in the audience? A pause will be three to five seconds. And they will think either the person is so stupid they didn't get it and I have to repeat it, or maybe I didn't explain it well enough and I'll have to repeat it again. And in this uh, repetitive mode, they will expose more of their behavior style than, than you would have even thought to ask. News people do this all the time <clears throat> when they're interviewing someone. Uh, they give the pause, and it's that second soundbite that really gets to them and uh, uh, gets to their heart. So that pause is critical. The fifth step is a summary, of course, of the, uh, of, of the whole conversation, the purpose of meeting. So, again, tell me about looking for signposts, brief inserts, and the pause. I'll give you an example now. Two examples. One, I'm going to give you a nursery rhyme example, which is in the book, to show you how easy it is to see these signposts so that you don't have to keep thinking of the steps. The first is think of a bullseye, a target like we had in summer camp with arrows. In the center, around the center is a circle, and then there's a circle on the outside, the perimeter of that circle. Of that now, if I was meeting with a senior at the University of Florida, I could say, tell me about the University of Florida. And he could speak from now to doomsday about the University of Florida. Do we learn anything about him? No. Not until we came down to the second circle. Tell me why you went to the University of Florida. What was that process? And it still might not get to the heart of the matter until you found out what he was majoring in. Tell me about what motivated you. What was your earliest time in life when that's what you wanted to do and you knew it. Now it's exposing. So when you say tell me about, make sure that you're getting to the core of the matter. Now, the easiest example I can give is that Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down, broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. Now you're at a soiree and you're sitting around there with your potato chips and your dip and in comes Jack with a bandage around his head, a little blunt state on the forehead. And you say, Jack, tell me about your accident. And he says, well, you know, I had the bucket and I was going up the hill like I always do. Jill was with me. Got up to the top, had to prime the pump, got the pump going, filled it with water, and I 
just about to turn to, to go down that hill. I had one foot in the air. And Jill says, Jack, look at that. She points to the sky. It's a skywriter in a plane writing the word Pepsi. He says, and at that point, I lost my balance. I went tumbling down the bucket, went I don't know where, elbows over tea kettles, and I cracked my forehead on the rock. I had to go to Doc Winslow to get some stitches. Jill's at the chiropractor now. <laughs> so now, how many signposts are in that that you could talk with Jack about, depending mm -hmm. on what your occupation was, perhaps? Well, there's Jack, there's the hill, there's Jill, there's the bucket, there's the priming of the pump, there's the pump, there's the airplane, there's the soft drink soda, there's the accident, there's the rock, there's the stitches, there's a doctor, there's a chiropractor. Any one of those signposts you could pick up on. If you're a real estate salesman, Jack, do I hear wedding bells with you and Jill? Because I've got a house that would be perfect for you. Uh, you're a PVC pipe salesman. Jack, have you ever thought, you know, going up and down this hill, this has got to get pretty tedious, especially in winter. Have you ever thought of some PVC pipe to drill down and maybe go right to your own house? Tell me your thoughts on that, Jack. So that's the example that I give, that there's millions of signposts in there, and you don't have to think. Mm -hmm. You're just looking at the person. I'll give you one more tip in this. I can't quantify this, but it's, it works. When you're listening to someone, remember your mother or your father said to you when you were young, if they can't look you in the eyes, then they're dishonest. Yes. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's impossible to look at people in their eyes with your eyes. So look at one eye. Not a stare that will raise the dead, but in the course of that conversation, look at one eye. Now, trust me, they will not know you're doing that. Mm-hmm. I had a friend that I told this to, and months later he invited me to lunch. And after lunch he called me and he said, Did you know, were you aware that I was looking at one of your eyes throughout the entire lunch every time we talked? And I said, No, I did not. And I have to think, subconsciously, that person feels a communication, some sort of bonding going on, or certainly paying attention. So those are the steps of the interview process, which I put in the Great Connection. So we have the element of the behaviors. And we have the element of how to get people talking. We've got so much mileage out of that, and I have to thank you for putting that in the book. It's, it's been important to us in, in our work. So, so, so far, we've uh, looked at how you've explained DISC through, through the character Bob uh, Hathaway and how to get people talking uh, to determine their style so that we can begin to adapt to their style. Uh, you present this in your book as a three-part model. The model is listen adapt and acknowledge. And I have to tell you, Arnie, that I was thrilled with this model, this model, especially the acknowledge step, which I think is the opportunity that most of us miss, um, even those of us who are disc literate. Can you tell us uh, how you do this effectively and um, you know how you can acknowledge someone's style or compliment them, bond with them using this acknowledge step? Yes. Uh, this came from a remark that Dr. Lefton made. Uh, I was calling him uh, about something or other. Mind you, his book is a 400-page book that deals with the quadrants. He did Q1, 2, 3, and 4, mm -hmm. and he would overlay Maslow's ladder of needs over those behavior styles so that each behavior style had a specific need that you would address. That's what he was talking about. But he said, just as an office comment, he says, you know, the most important thing in that book is the first-person statement. Mm -hmm. I said, well, we, he said, I can see. Oh, I can see. 
And so I thought about that, and I thought, gee, this whole book, this whole man's education, he was taught by Maslow at Brandeis when he mm -hmm. was a student. Wow. And he thinks the most important thing in the book is the first-person statement. And I began to think of it on an everyday usage. Let's say you're at a coffee at, at uh, the coffee room of where you work. And there's three or four people there, and in comes this curmudgeon who <laughs> says, I hate Mondays. Mondays, and it's a... Now, you've got three choices. You can say to that person, yeah, I hate them, too join them. Now you're upset. <laughs> or you can say, I am so sick of you coming in here every single Monday morning and saying how much you hate it. It brings me all down. You're still upset again. You've joined them. But if you say, I can see that you hate Mondays, it didn't affect you at all. Mm -hmm. And so I got thinking, how can I acknowledge the person's behavior style subtly, but bond with them? And then I thought, oh, I'll merge the first-person statement with a reflective statement. So going through the behaviors, I can see that you want things done yesterday. I can see that you're a bottom-liner. Mm -hmm. I can see that you're a traditionalist. I can see you like the status quo. I can see that you love people. I'll bet they've given you a lot of plaques in your life. I can see that you let nothing slip through the cracks. You love the details. You're a perfectionist, I'll bet. And that person, of course, you've determined that they are this already. What's that person going to think? They're going to think, finally, i got somebody who understands me, who I can talk with. So that was the third part of mm -hmm. the uh, equation, if you will. That's great. Uh, you know, uh, I would say that probably most of us are not usually capable of exhibiting our effective traits all of the time. It's just not possible. And uh, Doc Crater uh, does an excellent job of discussing this uh, problem with Bob on uh, page 75 of The Great Connection. Would, would you read that paragraph for us? Yes. Uh, Bob, the reason I gave you the effective and ineffective traits of each style is so you can identify when a person feels secure or insecure. If they show their worst traits, reassure them by complimenting one of their effective traits. That way you help them bring out their best qualities. Yeah, and, and you know, my experience is, is that when we encounter people using their ineffective traits, what we tend to do instead is to kind of pull away from them. And I, I just found this to be an extremely powerful and also high-level relationship tip uh, that, that was shared in the book, and I just thought it was excellent and wanted to thank you for it. Um, would you be able to share any recent life examples of how you've been able to utilize this approach? Oh, yes. Uh, I was, I'm trying to write a fourth book on the Middle Ages. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> was, at the 200 pages, I, I said, what am I doing? Where am I going? And I was just stuck. And I'm up to here with all the research on that particular period. And my wife says, you know, you've got to get out of the house. And I said, yes, I do. Where should I go? Well, Susan, you and I both know we love Max. Oh, yes. So I applied to the uh, Apple store, figuring they needed a token senior. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> and so I was a, a Max specialist, which meant I was a salesman. Uh. And what was interesting to me is, First, in the course of that salesmanship, you, A, you welcome them, of course. 
and can I help you today? Yes, I'm looking for a computer. And before you show them any computers, you ask them how they're using their computers. Mm. You're getting them talking because this is vital to make sure they get the right product. And also, you're learning their behavior style as they talk. Yep, absolutely. And so that was fun. Uh, because people would come in and say, I know what I want, uh, you know, I'll call you, I'll come back to you. Okay, there's that D, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you go. And uh, another uh, woman, uh, I guess she's about 29 or 30, uh, came in with her mother, and she had a piece of paper in her hand with stuff on it. Uh, and she said, uh, can I help you? She said, no, 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 we're all right. I'll come back when, 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 we're, when we're ready. So she came back, and she says, this is what I want. And she was ticking off everything that she had on that paper. She was very detailed, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so I said, are there anything extras that I can tell you about that you may not know? Figuring she would want to hear details, like, do you want the Apple Care Protection Plan? You know, yeah, you know, sure. you get a free printer. Which one would you like to choose? That sort of thing. Okay, they brought in their other computer. They purchased the computer. And now they're sitting at the Genius Bar waiting for their uh, transfer of files and information and so forth. So I didn't have any other customers at the time, so I thought just as a game, let's see if I can get this very high C talking. <laughs> so I came over to her. <laughs> I bothered her, I'm sure. I bet. I came over, over to her and I said, you know, I can see that, that you are so detailed. I said, this is, this is fantastic. You knew exactly what you wanted. Yes, still aloof. <laughs> and I, I, so I looked at the mother. The mother was uh, okay with this. She was smiling at me and I said, when, when did you first know that you were detailed? I said, you know, my daughter knew she was detailed right off the bat. I said, well, I did. Because when I put her to bed at night, she said, Dad, am I straight and in the middle? <laughs> and I wish I knew the styles then because I could have nurtured that in her. Uh-huh. And so uh, she looked and the mother laughed and the mother says, well, I and the mother began telling when the daughter exhibited these uh, traits. And then she finally, the daughter, loosened up. There was another instance. This is a real quick one. Uh, guy comes in on Thursday for an iPod for his girlfriend's fiance in New York. Uh, I knew that new iPods were coming out the following day. So it's Thursday. The new ones are coming out on Saturday, Friday, and his uh, fiance's birthday is Saturday, and he's got to ship this to her. So I said, uh, well, uh, what does she want? Well, she has a classic model, and she wants a new classic. I'm thinking, okay, she might be an S. You know, let's not change things. <laughs> so he, didn't, he didn't know what color to get her, whether it would be black or silver. And I said, well, when she gets dressed, I said, what is her favorite attire? Is it a black dress with pearls? Yes, exactly, he said. I said, go with the black one, but come back tomorrow. He said, why? I said, I can't tell you, but come back tomorrow. He said, but I have to come back tomorrow. <laughs> and, of course, he did, and he got it and FedExed it to her, so she got exactly what she wanted. <laughs> but it was fun to do this. Uh as an aid to bonding with the customer. Mm, absolutely. Because I, I only work three days a week, and I had people say, well, when are you on? I want to come back because I, I, I want to deal with you. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is because of what we've already discussed in operation. I'm sure of it. Absolutely sure of it. Well, I'd, I'd like to thank you, Arnie, for, for writing this, this wonderful book, The Great Connection. It's just been really important to us and, and to our work. And uh, for your willingness to, to share uh, from your book with us today, uh, as you know, we've, we've used the, your book uh, extensively here at the Team Approach since its release, and, and we really couldn't imagine 
you know, introducing DISC without it. Uh, if anyone is interested in ordering a copy of The Great Connection or any of Arnie's wonderful books, you can order uh, his books from his website, um, greatconnection.com, www.greatconnection.com. Uh, we'd like to give folks a, a chance to uh, ask some questions if they if they have some uh, questions for you. Uh, before we do that, however, I'd like to mention our April edition of Bookends, uh, where we will actually be featuring a yet another author of a disc book. Um, and on April the 23rd, we will be hosting Julie Straw. Julie is the author of The Four-Dimensional Manager, uh, which we will be looking at disc this time from a management perspective. And uh, we will hope... Uh, hope that you would visit our, our website, teamapproach.com, to, to register for our upcoming Meet the Author events. If you're not on our coming events or bookends mailing list, you can also subscribe under the Free Stuff button that you will find on our site. Uh, you will also find under the Free Stuff button, you will find the archived recording from our uh, previous bookend session. So, uh, please uh, check it out. And uh, now I would like to open up the floor for questions or comments that, that any of you might have for Arnie. Um, and I am going to go ahead and unmute you uh, collectively so that you can dialogue with Arnie. All callers are muted. All callers are unmuted. Try that again. Okay. It sounds like you're all back. So uh, if there is any question or dialogue for Arnie, I have now opened up the floor. Please feel free to, to introduce yourself and, and um, ask your questions to, to Arnie. Uh, Arnie, uh, this is John David Bullman. Uh, yes, John. I, I was trying to keep quiet on myself rather than announce myself when we began. But um, I really have so much enjoyed this book. It's just a delightful read. It's a lot of fun to go through. I've I've used it in disc trading, and uh, I remember hearing one person after they read the book. Uh, it was it was disc trading for a uh, a state uh, job uh, situation, and he said, "I don't know that exactly how I'll be using this at work." He says, "But I'm sure I will." He says, "But I can tell you this: uh, the whole program has been worthwhile because of the insights I got from the uh, the pattern of learning how to speak." Uh, oh. because his um, his he had trouble communicating with his son, mm. and uh, he says I I come home and I I'd, I'd ask him well how does things go he says I get a one answer replying or, <laughs> or it's nothing would happen he said I, but boy we start using uh, these marvelous guidelines these these steps he says it's wonderful now I hear all kinds of things uh, and again with that opening line that you give us I really appreciated that well thank you very much that was the, that was you know, I was uh, in the in the second book, Find Your Passion. Uh, in the course of the research, uh, the woman I was uh, doing, uh, well, she was my mentor, Dr. Edith Donahue. She said to me after we got finished, you love words. You love to affect people emotionally with words, but you're only fulfilled if they have benefited people. You just fulfilled it for me, John. Thank you. Oh, great, yeah. Now, I, I have a question for you, though. It, it relates to, uh, and, and I, it's not a heavy one, I don't think at all, but on page 26, you have the you, you talk about the secret to success. Yes. And you describe okay. that as as total belief in in, in oneself. Right. Well, I, it has often struck me that there's a fine line between faith and foolhardiness. Uh, so, how does one know about assessing when one has um, placed too much belief in oneself, or can or maybe better yet, could you say a little bit more about the notion of what it means to believe in yourself? 
as the secret to success? Um, I would, now I'm not a psychologist, so I'll just give you a personal uh, explanation. The belief in yourself means that you can do anything uh, that you're suited for, obviously, but uh, the confidence, the uh, security the, uh, that, that goes with that, the uh, ability to take risks, the ability to step outside your comfort zone, knowing, knowing that you're going to expand your comfort zone. So the total belief in yourself is not that I am the center of the universe concept, but that, yes, I can, and knowing, uh, well, here's a good example, knowing the uh, hero's journey, that there's going to be many obstacles. But if you still believe, you don't quit on yourself, then, then that's what I mean by that. Uh, you will never, let's see, what was the line that I, you will never, um, oh, I can't think of the line. Uh, when you take a risk, you will never be, a, you will never fail yourself. It's just part of the ongoing process, um, as, as in the hero's journey, which is the formula for every good movie, good play, good book, whatever. Obstacle, obstacle, people telling you you can't do, and yet you believe that you can. And not listening to other people, uh, you know, tell you you can't. And then when you do succeed in that, you are changed forever, and so is everybody around you. That's the hero's journey concept. But the total belief in yourself, the way Macklemore said it to me immediately, and with the confidence that he walked around the world with, huh? that was... That was it. I don't know if I can explain it. I'm just rambling on here. But that total belief in yourself is, is the security of knowing your behavior styles, knowing your effective traits, knowing others' effective traits and ineffective traits helps you stay the course. That's, I really, that's immensely helpful. Thanks so much. You're welcome, John. I think that, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about that and you look at Maslow's hierarchy, which you mentioned earlier, and, of course, the self-esteem piece, and when you were talking about how we can, you know, again, that very powerful relationship tip, how we can really support each other uh, in in developing, supporting, and maintaining people's self-esteem by by focusing on the positive side of their style, even in, during those times that they are, you know, not representing themselves well, uh, it's it's just so powerful, and um, you know, I think it it really uh, ties into what you've just shared. Other comments uh, or questions for Arnie today? Okay, well, well, hearing none, uh, I will uh, provide a gift of time to those of you on the call today and um, let you return to all of the wonderful tasks that I'm sure are uh, are on your desk for today. Um, so I'd like to thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us. And I particularly would like to thank you, Arnie, for your willingness to spend this time with us this morning and uh, share your insights and um uh, stories from, from your book, The Great Connection. It's been wonderful to, to spend this time with you. Well, thank you, Susan, and thank I thank you all for, for tuning in. We'll talk to you again, so. Susan. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.